Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. You are listening to the As A Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and today we are talking about reproductive rights, the Alabama Supreme Court decision, and why everybody's talking about IVF. Unlike some of our other episodes, I'm just going to dive right in here and get started. I'll just say you can follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Check out the YouTube or other episodes for other content and your questions. If you're new here, I am a fertility doctor in Austin, Texas. I am double board certified in OBGYN and REI. REI is Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, which is a three-year fellowship after a four-year OBGYN residency. You have to take numerous board exams. It's a rigorous training program. I've been in Austin, Texas practicing now for almost 10 years and three and a half years ago co-founded Fora Fertility, which is a private practice. It's a small fertility clinic and an IVF lab here in Austin. I know IVF in and out. I know it so well. Talk about it every day. I am one of the experts in this field. I also know what it's like to be navigating different and difficult political landscapes. And I'm one of the founders of Doctors for Fertility. Doctors for Fertility is a nonprofit and a political action committee, which was started when Roe was overturned because we your fertility doctors were fearful and yet predicted this exact moment. And we wanted to be proactive and start to lay the foundation in case what we saw happen over the course of the past week actually came to light. Because this is not new. Many states have tried something like what happened in Alabama, but this is a unique situation which underscores the importance of reproductive autonomy and really just healthcare autonomy. So first of all, what happened in Alabama? If you don't understand or you've heard different stories or you're just not sure what it all means. All right, so in Alabama in 2020, there was a situation where an unauthorized person gained access to the IVF lab 
and they opened up the tank where embryos are stored and they pulled out a straw which had vials on it containing different people's embryos. Now, this is frozen minus 300 degrees. This is how we freeze embryos, and I'm going to go into that. But that's very cold, so it was hard to hold. This person dropped it, destroyed the embryos. Terrible. I'm going to preface all of this by saying, I tell all my patients this. Your embryo is so precious. Your embryo is so valuable. I consider myself the protector of your embryos. So something like this happening is devastating and heartbreaking. I can only imagine what these patients felt like finding out that their embryos had been destroyed. And this is not the first time that there's been an accident or something has happened to somebody's embryos. We know if we just look in the news, there have been tank storage failures, both in California and in Ohio. And in those circumstances, many more people had their embryos damaged or destroyed. So in this case, there were three couples who had their embryos destroyed, decided to sue the clinic and the physicians. And so they went to go file a suit, and this would be something you might consider negligent or damage to property, malpractice. And their lawyers essentially advised them that they could have a higher payment if this was wrongful death and decided to pursue wrongful death of a minor for these embryos. So a lower court actually ruled that they couldn't do this and said, hey, these embryos are property. That's pretty standard terminology. And nobody's trying to be insensitive. But just saying this is not a child. It's completely different. An embryo is a couple hundred cells in a ball, no distinguishing features of a child. Does it have the potential to become a child? Yes. And that's what makes IVF so amazing. Is it a child? No. And our success rates are such that it's not even close to a child, a single given embryo. And that's the reality of this whole process that everybody who's been through IVF will tell you. But a lower court said, no, you can't do this. You can't go and say that these embryos our children and try to go get more money because you can sue under wrongful death of a minor. But this got appealed and it went to the Supreme Court in Alabama. And the Supreme Court, they ruled that this did apply. And they cited Bible verses 41 times or God of the Bible. They referenced the Alabama origins in 1800. And they said, absolutely, extrauterine children extrauterine children. That's what they called embryos. Extrauterine children are children and they are protected under the law in Alabama. So let me just read you a little bit. This is LePage versus Mobile Infirmary Clinic and it states right here in the brief. Okay, the LePage, parents and friends of two deceased embryos, A and B. They didn't have names like you might name a child, but A and B. You have Fawns. The Fawns are the parents and next friends to two deceased embryos embryos C and D. So their embryos also don't have names. And then you have the, oh, I'm going to say their name wrong, but we'll say the Essenes and their embryo, baby Essene, which is a deceased embryo, single embryo. All right. So none of these embryos have names. Like you might think about naming your child. However, here's what we've got. This court has long held that unborn children are children for purposes of Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act, a statute that allows parents of a deceased child 
to recover punitive damages for that child's death. The central question presented in these consolidated appeals, which involve the death of embryos kept in a cryogenic nursery, is whether the act contains an unwritten exception to the rule for extrauterine children. That is, unborn children who are located outside of a biological uterus at the time they are killed. Under existing black letter law, the answer to that question is no. The wrongful death of a minor act applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. All right, so extrauterine children and a cryogenic nursery, an IVF lab is a cryogenic nursery. That's not true. I don't have a nursery. I don't have children in my lab. So why don't I? Why can I say that with such confidence? Let's go through a few things about embryo storage, how we even make them, what IVF is, and why laws like this have come into play. So this is an interesting lead-in, and because it's falling under the wrongful death, it's very high profile, and the liabilities are potentially very huge. This is not the first time we've heard or states have tried to pass what we call personhood bills or amendments, essentially meaning that once an egg is fertilized, it becomes a person. All right, and why are they saying that they care about this? Because if you want to restrict abortion, you believe abortion goes against your personal belief system and you believe you should be allowed to impose your personal beliefs to everybody. You want to walk abortion back as far as possible and say, I don't want any babies to be aborted, so when can I draw some line in the sand? And you say, aha, conception or fertilization or implantation. And all of these things have very scientific meanings. So they're coming to light in the face of wanting to walk everything back, but the truth is they have very significant consequences. They're actually using abortion because it is a hot topic and they can get people passionate about it, but it's about control. And that's what Roe v. Wade was actually about. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan, it's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. 
The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Roe v. Wade was not a bill that said you can have an abortion. It said you have the right to privacy and autonomy over your personal health decisions. That you, as a human being on planet Earth in the United States, have a right to make decisions which impact your health. And one of those decisions is, are you going to be pregnant? Are you going to use contraception? Are you going to do IVF to get pregnant? So when Roe v. Wade was overturned, what it did was say, yeah, no, you don't have privacy rights or personal autonomy rights to your health care. The government has the right to impose beliefs upon you about what we think you should be allowed to do or not do when it comes to your health. And we don't consult doctors or scientists or medical people. We are just going to come in and allow states to do whatever they want. So this is really about the ability to impose your own beliefs on your constituents and having control. A lot of this, this is about women's bodies. This is women's health. This is reproductive care, reproductive rights. We are not seeing the right to purchase Viagra being challenged. We are not seeing men being penalized for getting somebody pregnant, donating sperm. We're not seeing anything like that. We are specifically seeing a very targeted attack against actions which allow women autonomy and control over their reproductive future, which is control over your life. If you are constantly caught in a cycle of being pregnant, having a baby, having a newborn and being postpartum, and getting pregnant again, you are not in the workforce, you are not leading the charge you are not advancing women. And I do not believe everybody who's against abortion is in this camp, but there is a hundred percent, a very vocal group of people who 100% will clearly state that that is their motive. And they think abortion should be illegal. IVF is murdering babies and contraception kills babies. They want it all gone. They've been telling us this. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Silence is acceptance. You're complicit in the behavior. We cannot allow this to be what happens to women in our country. But I really believe one of the biggest issues right here, yes, reproductive autonomy, privacy, control, those are outrageous. 
But what's also extremely concerning in this exact case, this exact case, is that so we are seeing people, politicians, judges, making decisions that impact your life using words that are scientific that they don't understand and then using words that are completely made-believe. There is no cryogenic nursery. And do you know why? Cryogenic is a type of freezing. It's a deep freezing where we put things at sub-zero temperatures and a human doesn't survive. So by definition of being able to be at that temperature, to be thawed and survive, you're not a human, period. Human, we're a biological species, homo sapien. We, when we're in our real extrauterine form, when we have a heart that beats and a brain that works and an organ system that communicates to our whole body, you can't survive at cryogenic temperature. An embryo is not a human. I don't have a cryogenic nursery here in Austin. I have an IVF lab. I have an embryo storage. Well, I have a robot. I don't even do this tank situation. But you can't freeze a human. I know we see it in movies that somebody will go into deep freeze and wake up 200 years in the future. And wouldn't that be cool? But it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And then an extra uterine child is a child that has been born and lives outside the womb. You are not an extra uterine child. You're not a child beforehand. You're an embryo. Okay, so what's an embryo? And what's a blastocyst? And what's an egg? And what's a sperm? When you go through IVF, what we're trying to do is put eggs and sperm together in the lab. And that's what IVF is, in vitro fertilization, in vitro, in the dish, in the glass, like the Petri dish, fertilization, fertilizing things outside the body. The world's oldest IVF baby is 45 years old. IVF has been around for quite a while. It has changed dramatically. So if we think about what we're doing with IVF, I am trying to get one month's group of eggs to all grow forward. You may not know that inside your body, you have all the eggs you're ever going to have when you're born. I like to think about them as being stored inside a vault in our ovary. Every month you have a group of eggs that's released. And this actual number, the number of eggs that are in the group released from the vault is proportional to how many you have remaining. So if you have more eggs left, usually you're younger, you're going to have more than when you have fewer eggs left when you're older. Some rough averages, if you're 30, you probably have 18 to 20 eggs per month available. If you're 40, you probably have eight to 10 eggs available if you're falling on average. And I have had people well before 30 run out of eggs. So age is not a guarantee that you're going to have a good number. You're trying to get that one month's group of eggs to grow. Well, this was not possible when we first started IVF. So originally what happens in the body, all of these eggs come out of the vault. Each egg grows inside a fluid-filled structure called a follicle. You can't see an egg, it's microscopic. It's a single cell, mostly filled with water and some DNA, but you can see the follicle that it grows inside. And what's interesting is that the brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. Now, FSH is very well-named, and FSH stimulates an egg to grow. As that egg grows, follicle gets bigger, egg matures, eventually it ovulates, and that's the one that could potentially be fertilized naturally. The rest of the eggs that have been released from the vault, they die. And in the next month, you have another group come back out. 
This means that the first thing that we're doing when we do modern day IVF is trying to get all the eggs that we have available to grow. Now that's not how IVF started. IVF started by just trying to get the one egg out of the one follicle that was growing. Following that egg till it got to maturity, doing abdominal surgery to take it out of that follicle, and then putting it in a dish with sperm. Now, this was not very successful, and many of the embryos died. And it turns out that the nutritional requirements of an embryo after day three changed dramatically. So you have an egg, which is a single cell in a sperm, put the sperm inside the egg. If it accepted fertilization, the next day is considered day one, that embryo has split, and that cell, that egg, has changed and become a two cell. And then it'll go to four and then eight. So day three, you're rolling with a day three embryo. It should have about eight cells and everything after it would die. And so freezing wasn't really around. And you take that eight cell embryo if it got to that stage and put it in the body and see what happens. And pregnancy rates were low. Fertilization rates were not great. Embryos didn't grow great in the culture. But the technology started to work. Over time, what has gotten better? I can grow. I can give you hormone shots. I can give you the compound FSH that comes from the brain, the exact same chemical structure. I give that to you in a hormone shot, and now I can stimulate all 20 of those eggs to grow. Amazing. So you're taking hormone shots to get the eggs to grow. That's not super fun. It takes about two weeks. Those medications are so expensive, typically between four dollars to $8,000 for the medications alone. You have to go in for ultrasounds and blood draws, and we're checking the follicles to see how they grow. And if they're not growing as well, you may not get as many eggs because currently we mature eggs in the body. We would love to mature eggs outside the body and in the lab. And there's a lot of research being done towards that. Of course, this poses a whole new set of questions with rulings like this. But we have progressed IVF to the place where we can now grow more than just that one egg. And we can take them out of the body in a quick procedure that's vaginal, just with a needle going into the ovary, which I know sounds crazy, but imagine drawing your blood. You've gotten your blood drawn and that needle goes into your vein and your arm and you see the little tube connecting to the test tube that fills up with blood. Same thing, just eggs. And because of where the ovaries are located in your body, we access them vaginally. We can now put sperm inside the egg. So if the problem was that the sperm couldn't do its job and get in the egg, we can now do that. We can grow embryos past day three. We can get them to the implantation stage. So when you put an embryo in back in the uterus on day three, we are just like Netflix and chill little embryo. It can't implant for two to three more days and we're just fingers crossing. It sticks. It's not at the right stage to actually implant. Pregnancy rates were low. Okay, so then embryos, we were able to grow them further so we could get them to the blastocyst stage, which is day five or six, and that is the stage of implantation. That is when you have an outer cell mass called the trophectoderm, which becomes the placenta, and an inner cell mass, and this inner cell mass is actually what becomes the fetus or the baby. So when you see a picture of a circular-looking structure that's been going around in the news, you are mostly seeing just placental structures or the trophectoderm. That stage, embryos survived the freeze-thaw much better. Implantation rates went much higher. 
And then we had the invention of being able to sample those placental cells for genetic testing. Because one of the other rate limiting steps, one is going to be running out of eggs. Everybody runs out of eggs. But the other is that as you get older, your chromosomes start to break down inside your eggs because they've been sitting there since you were born and they've absorbed the wear and the tear of your life. And so as you age, you have more genetically abnormal eggs. At age 35, 36, about half your eggs are normal and half are abnormal. So if you have a low egg count, not every egg's gonna fertilize. They're not all gonna go through. They're not all gonna be normal and not all genetically normal embryos can even implant. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. This genetic testing goes beyond just aneuploidy. So when I talk about aneuploidy, because genetics freak people out, we're talking about, do you have the right number of chromosomes? That's euploid. Aneuploid is an abnormal chromosome number. This is the number one cause of miscarriage and infertility as you age. So genetic testing has progressed from just aneuploidy testing, which exists, to also now being able to detect single gene disorders. I cannot run a panel for all the diseases, but if I know what I'm looking for, I have a patient with cystic fibrosis and she and her partner both have this and they don't want to pass it on to their child. I can screen that out. Somebody who has BRCA, who has breast cancer, lost her mom and lost her sister to breast cancer. We can do IVF, figure out which embryos inherited the BRCA, and we don't transfer those. We eliminate this autosomal dominant genetic cancer syndrome from her family. She can have a child and not have to tell her child that she's going to have to have a high chance of having breast cancer and get a mastectomy and get her ovaries out. It's life-changing technology. IVF is utilized so commonly. One out of six people have infertility. IVF can be used for age-related factors for fertility preservation. We do emergent IVF for cancer patients before they have chemotherapy because we know chemotherapy can destroy your eggs. You may run out of eggs during chemo. You might come out of chemo in menopause. IVF can be used for tubal disease, severe male factor. It can be used to safely get pregnant with PCOS or functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. It can help people who've had recurrent pregnancy losses over and over again. And it is allowing people to get pregnant by using a gestational carrier, using an egg donor. There are so many different utilizations of this technology. But even when I try my very best, and y'all, I try my best. I am a good doctor. 
Not every transfer works. Not every egg that's fertilized becomes an embryo or a baby at all. So let's just think about this because these numbers are very important. And I'm going to use a pretend patient because we don't understand things unless we make it real. So number one, you have eggs. You need to do IVF. We're going to go through the process. For the sake of this pretend discussion, you're 36. You have 16 eggs, average. Actually, real pretty good for a 36-year-old. We go through, we stimulate those eggs. You took hormone shots. This procedure costs on average twenty dollars to $30,000. Most states do not cover this. Most insurances do not cover this. We get the 16 eggs out and they're all mature. When number one, not all eggs are always mature, but let's just pretend for the example that they are. I have 16 mature eggs. I'm going to fertilize them with sperm. And now I have 12 out of 16 fertilized. 75 to 80% is the average for fertilization when we do ICSI, which is selecting a single sperm and injecting it into the cytoplasm of the egg to try to help it overcome potential fertilization defects. So I just went from 16 to 12. From the 12, about half of them will make it through the culture process from one to day five or six. So we've lost a ton already. So now I have six embryos at the blastocyst stage. Let's Say we're just screening for aneuploidy. We're not worried about a single gene disorder in this case. So we send off placental samples for testing. We have 50% normal. So now I have three normal embryos. I wish that that was three children. I wish. I mean, let's remember I had 12 embryos on day one and I only had six on day five or six. So what happened to those? They just died in their cryogenic nursery. But anyways, now if we're going to go through the actual science, the technology that exists, I've got three normal embryos. I have a 95% chance that if I transfer these embryos, not at one time, because freezing is good, 99% of the time embryos survive the freeze thaw. So if I transfer one embryo, I have a 65% live birth rate, which is pretty good, but not 100. If I transfer the second, one transfer, pregnant, or one transfer, not pregnant, now I went on to the second. My cumulative live birth rate after two transfers is 88%. And if I have two negative transfers and go on to a third, my cumulative live birth rate is 95%. So not every embryo equals a child, even when we try our best and you're in the best lab and we do every single thing that we can. That is not how biology works. That's not how reproduction works. So many more steps have to prove the competency of that embryo before it actually turns into a child. And in fact, at the blastocyst stage, the day five or six stage, when the embryo can be biopsied or frozen or transferred, the embryo is two to 300 cells. It looks like a soccer ball. That's how I've described it to my patients many a times for years and years. It's a soccer ball. All the cells that you see on the outside, everything you associate with a soccer ball is a placenta. And inside is a tiny clump of cells that will later become the fetus. Later, not now. And even when it looks beautiful and it gets the perfect score, and we know that it's genetically normal, it is not going to become a baby. There's so much that we don't know about what makes an embryo turn into a human life. And I wish I had the answer because I would be so awesome at this job. But if we say extrauterine children and their cryogenic nursery are children, I cannot now freeze children. Remember, that's the first argument to why this doesn't even exist, but alas, I can't freeze children. I can't biopsy their placenta. I can't discard them 
or donate them. What happens if a child doesn't survive the freeze-thaw? Because 99% is not 100, and there are embryos that do not survive the freeze-thaw. Is my embryologist criminally negligent? Is that a wrongful death case because that embryo didn't survive the freeze-thaw? What if something terrible happens and the embryo is dropped? Those things are disastrous and you deserve compensation for that. But my embryologist does not deserve a manslaughter charge for wrongful death of the embryo because it's not a child. So I agree that in the context of this case and just in general in the United States, embryo storage is a problem. The fact that somebody could walk into this lab and open the tank highlights the fact that security, constant monitoring, and making sure you understand where your embryos are and the safety protocols about your lab, you have to ask the questions because people aren't going to tell you if you don't ask. So I am not saying that they don't deserve damages, okay? But I am just saying that saying that this is wrongful death for embryo A, B, C, D, and a baby unnamed, y'all, it doesn't make sense. You can't freeze humans. This is not a child has the potential to become a child, but it's not a child. So let's talk about embryo storage because in my lab, in our lab at Fora, we have the lab you have to badge in. So not even every employee can badge into the lab, okay? You have to have the right credentials to even get your key card, to open the door, to physically walk in. Now, some embryos in the lab that are growing are in incubators. That's why it's important to have those safety protocols. But once they're frozen, our embryos live in a storage robot. And this makes them extra secure for a variety of reasons. But you have to understand the traditional storage. These embryos are almost in a barrel on the ground. And this is connected to liquid nitrogen to keep it at cryogenic temperature. And you open the lid and it has straws, these containers, and on them are these tiny little glass vials that should have one embryo each. Sometimes they have two. There's a variety of different ways and they're labeled. Some labs have them labeled by hand on these stickers and they have a log book that's by hand. Some people at least have a barcode system where it's, you know, written out. But every time you open the lid, those embryos are exposed to the world and you pull things out. You have to have another human identify it with you because you're eyeballing it. And then you take it out and you close the little lid. And now it should be set up to monitoring, but not all systems are really set up to continuous monitoring to make sure that it's staying at the right frozen temperature. And when we talk about tank storage failures that happened in the past in California and in Cleveland, this is the case. They weren't alerting, the systems weren't set up correctly to notify people. So we've been in the field for a long time. We built a brand new lab and it's gonna have the state-of-the-art technology. So we have got a robotic storage system and instead of this whole barrel tub situation. I like to think about it as lockers. And so each little glass straw that has your embryo on it has a radio labeled tag that is associated with it. And it's also connected in our EMR. So I can go look in every little radio label for your embryos and which one it is and if it's genetically normal and what score it got. And in order to get it out of this machine, there's a eyeball scan and you have to put it in the EMR and then the robot will go just pick that embryo and then deposit it at this slip like a vending machine almost gets the one you want and brings it out so all the other embryos are not exposed to this change in temperature and it's very safe it has continuous monitoring all the time 24 hours a day it has the ability to stay at cryogenic temperature for up to 12 days even when not connected to a backup generator because you know I'm in Texas whole power grid situation. Just want to take some precautions. But the point is 
there are better ways to do things. So you have to badge swipe once to even walk to the back section, badge swipe to get into the lab, a different set of people badge swipe to even get into the room where the storage is. So safety of storage, super important. And so I agree that it's devastating that these three families lost some embryos. It's absolutely devastating. And my heart goes out to them. And I don't know if these embryos were normal or abnormal, if they were morphologically good or bad. I don't know if these people had completed their families and maybe they were never going to use them. It doesn't matter. They were their embryos. They were their property and they deserve to feel and to know that they're safe where they're being stored. What happened in the aftermath of this ruling is that if embryos are ruled to be people and somebody can have a wrongful death charge against them for something happening to an embryo, you no longer can practice modern IVF. You cannot fertilize you cannot grow it in culture, cannot freeze it, cannot biopsy it, cannot transfer it. This is so severe that every IVF lab in Alabama has now stopped IVF services. So if you were in the middle of a cycle and taking these expensive hormone shots, my understanding is that most labs continued and allowed you to retrieve your eggs, but then your only choice was to freeze them as eggs. But I don't know that for a fact, but I do know that there were no more fertilizations, no more embryo culture, no more embryo biopsy, no more embryo transfers. And so they halted all of that. Cryotransport services, the companies that can go and pick up your embryos and put them in a liquid nitrogen tank and keep them at secure temperature and move them across the country have also paused services for people who embryos are in Alabama because it's too liable right now. Until there is more clarity on the issue, they're not willing to risk something happening. Because in the standard practice of IVF, nothing is perfect. Not every embryo is going to become a child. In a nursery, every child is a living, breathing child. And if something happened to a child in that nursery, crazy. But if I said, oh, of these 20 kids in the nursery, you know, only half of them are going to be alive in a few days. And that was totally normal and natural like what happens from day one to day five. Bonkers, bonkers. So you have people who've been waiting years, saved up their money, trying to get pregnant. Some people may be running out of time. The urgent cancer cases, if you have cancer, you come to see me, we fast track you to try to get this done before you start chemo. My heart breaks for them. The argument that you can still do IVF under these current set of laws is ridiculous because you're not going to make your staff, yourself, your clinic, your patients, potentially liable for things that may happen if it's a wrongful death charge. It's not sustainable with the modern practice of IVF. And to walk it back with restrictions like other countries have, where, okay, well, you can fertilize and anything you fertilize, you have to put it in the body. You can't freeze anything, you can't biopsy anything. And other countries like Italy have done this, and you can only fertilize three eggs, and anything that grows, you have to put it in the body. Pregnancy rates are lower, multiple rates are higher, pregnancy loss, preterm pregnancy loss, higher, complications, higher, less babies born, less families. We have the technology for this practice of medicine to be safe and to be effective. And it's mind-blowing that we are even entertaining the discussion of doing it in a way that's not safe and not effective. And 
we should not tolerate that. All right, so this is how IVF is very tied to both personhood bills because you'll see other states come and try to pass a personhood bill. A person is defined at life at conception or fertilization, and that would do the same thing. That would do what this does. So you have to keep your eyes open. You have to know what's happening in your state. You've got to vote for candidates who you know have your family building interest your reproductive rights at mind. You have to. You have to be loud about it. You have to share your story. If you've had IVF, please, please go online and share your story and tell people why keeping access to this technology is so important. And we've been trying to make IVF more accessible and help more people. And this is going backwards because if something like this stands and the clinic is going to try to stay open, the cost of liability insurance, of the extra safety precautions, they're going to have to charge so much for IVF and it's going to have to be practiced in a manner that makes it so much less effective. I can't imagine that that is sustainable. And it's not fair. It's not fair to the patients. All right, this is being appealed next week and we can hope that the right thing will happen and that people are speaking out. And we are even hearing politicians who are very pro-life coming out and saying, this is wrong, this is bad, IVF helps families, and we very much need to protect this. Okay, so hopefully that goes right, but if it goes wrong, and what if it goes federal? That's scary, okay? That's why even if you're in a safe state or a blue state, this could impact you. We have a presidential candidate who's been very vocal about what he would do and when he thinks personhood begins. Pay attention. Pay attention to who you're voting for. And this is the United States and money talk. So donate money to PACs who are going to support your beliefs. And my belief is that you should be able to decide your beliefs. I actually don't think I should have to impact my belief on you. Meaning if you come to me and you want to do IVF a different way because a fertilized egg is a human to you, I respect it. Okay. I'm going to walk you through it. And I'm going to tell you that if I only fertilize two and we transfer them all and the odds of success rate are going to depend on your age and it might be less than 5% and it might take month after month after month and it might take you five to 10 times as long and as much money and you want to do it, that's how it feels okay to you. We will have the talk, but to force that onto everybody is wrong and not fair. This is not about pro-life. Being pro-life helps people have families. This is about autonomy and privacy, and we need to speak up, and we need to support each other. You can also follow along. I'm on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Doctors for Fertility is our nonprofit and our political action committee. You can go to at DFF underscore PAC for the PAC. You can donate money there. You can follow at ASRM underscore org to learn more there or resolve the National Infertility Association. Please send letters to your representatives telling them how important this issue is. I have examples on my Instagram. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.